0: So, were there challenges? Of course. So, let me go through some of the challenges if you take a look here.
1: Hello, I'm Rachel Deere, host of today's program COVID 19 Keeping Up with a Moving Target. This is the September 4th update of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA, PRA, Category 1 credits. For complete CE information and to attest for credit, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. There you will also find all of our previous COVID-19 programs and have access to other free CE programs on a wide range of topics. The slides for today's webinar can be found in the resource list window and as a green icon in the bottom menu. Today's learning objectives are describe how critical care education was delivered before COVID-19, Discuss the process of how critical care education transitioned from in-person to virtual education. Describe the challenges faced when critical care nurse educators educate themselves on virtual interactive devices and delivery platforms. And describe how critical care education is currently received by all nurses new to intermediate care and the intensive care unit. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Pfizer Incorporated and in kind by DKB Med. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. With us today, we have Nancy Beck and Paula Murray from JHH Critical Care Education at Johns Hopkins Hospital. They'll be discussing how COVID-19 has impacted critical care education. Nancy
2: and Paula. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Rachel. I wanted to start with a picture of the uh, Critical Care Committee. These are all the team members that help to oversee and create and, and basically run the critical care program for the Johns Hopkins Hospital. All of these people are subject matter specialists who teach many of the lectures and and engaged um, in the education. So just a little bit about how we did critical care education prior to COVID. At any given time, we could have an average of 40 to 80, sometimes we've even had up to 90 uh, people would be attending to take their critical care classes. All the sessions were in person and all the sessions had a uh, subject matter expert instructing. Each session, and I'll talk a little bit more about the sessions on the next slide. Each session includes four eight hour class dates, which include eight hours of simulation. So this is a schedule, this is our general schedule of our critical care education that we do usually every other month, but at certain times of year we have more influx of nurses, so we tend to do it at extra times in the summer. So these are the classes, the lectures that we cover, and you can see on critical care day one, we do cardiac in the morning and then shock in the afternoon, and so on critical care day two. Critical care day three is the one that I wanted to mention. It's our simulation day. This requires a lot of participation from the committee and a lot of our educators and staff members at the bedside. Again, the committee is made up of nurse educators, lead clinical nurses, bedside nurses, and clinical specialists. So when we do the simulation day, we actually are in the simulation lab. It's all interactive, it's all hands-on, so that they get a chance to see what it's like to play with a vent and all the different things that they would need to do when they got on their unit. So as you can imagine, all those classes were live. All of them were very interactive, especially the sim day. And all of a sudden, we were faced with COVID. So we knew we had to do something. Not sure if we knew what we needed to do, but whatever we needed to do, it had to happen in a quick time frame. So we had new and experienced nurses, they come in every month, so it didn't matter if we had COVID or no COVID, uh, that's still gonna happen. They need the education to prepare them for assessments that they need to take uh, prior to finishing up their orientation on their units. And they also needed the education to assist just them getting into the IMC ICU entry. Really, when we looked at this, we realized that we ourselves had to be educated So in order to all of a sudden go from a live program and start learning how to use Zoom and looking at Zoom and seeing how we can use breakout rooms, how they can use the chat box, how they could put their hand up. Um, So we had to be able to figure all that out. Then we had presentations and we wanted it to be not just a Zoom meeting, but a presentation where the viewer could see the slides and the presenter. And if there was somebody else in the room that spoke, that we wanted to have something, uh, a camera that actually would turn and look at them. And Paula will go into a little bit more about that um, in her section. And so we utilized videos and cameras, smart video conferencing centers. And then we really had to figure out a uh, platform uh, somewhere to store all these videos. So all of this was very, very new to us. We have some resources here, but we really used what we had available uh, to us in a quick timeframe.
0: So what happens if we didn't go virtual? When COVID started, there was, you know, the cath lab shut down, the interventional radiology shut down, the OR shut down and we had a huge need for ICU-trained nurses to help with the burden of taking care of the ICU COVID patients. So if we didn't go virtual, all those nurses who had been ICU nurses in the past and then went to a procedure area, uh, many of those nurses decided, well, I'll come back to the bedside and help. And If we didn't go virtual, there would have been a lot of burden on the ICU Preceptors, the ICU, the current ICU nurses in our MICU predominantly, we basically had two MICUs at the time. And then all the other ICUs started going up mm. <laughs> one after the other. And so there was a huge amount of education that needed to happen quickly. And so if we didn't go virtual, we wouldn't have had that education. And that would have been left to the unit educators and the unit preceptors. Most of the ICUs have like a lead clinical nurse that's responsible for education, but they mainly do what's new, what's new equipment. If there's new epic changes, they're, they're involved in that, but not necessarily teaching like critical care concepts. So it would vary the education that we provided if we said, okay, we can't do this, we can't hold the live classes. All of you educators in the ICUs are going to be responsible now for teaching your new hires and teaching all of the new nurses coming from the procedure areas and other areas. That just was not fair because they already had enough burden on them with the changes with COVID and the PPE. And and also they were teaching the current ICU nurses, not only teaching these nurses who were coming, they were teaching standards of care. They were trying to get them familiar. Oh, you remember what event is? Okay, well, here it is. If we didn't go virtual, there would have been no availability for these nurses coming over to prepare. So that would not have been a good situation. So were there challenges? Of course. So let me go through some of the challenges if you take a look here. So some of the challenges to going virtual were that Not everybody who taught the live classes are subject matter experts. Not all of them wanted to be on camera. Not all of them wanted to participate in the virtual class and be recorded because then that recording was also going to be on our webpage. So not only did they not want to be recorded that time, but they didn't want to be on our webpage forever. The other thing was responding to questions for large groups. So our first Zoom was our cardiac day. And we had, I actually taught that class and we had about 50 people Zoomed in and it was very challenging to answer questions. So we had someone kind of responsible for the chat. And then once they got a couple questions, they would stop me and ask me the questions, I'd respond so everybody could hear the answer. So that was definitely challenging also there's limited interactive time when we were doing the live classes even though it was lecture style we did a lot of breakout you know this group's going to work on this this group's going to work on this and then we'll come back together and kind of talk about the scenarios and because people are coming from various backgrounds so some people have had a lot of experience and they might say well we used to do this in this unit so that kind of interaction was not feasible the other thing was just in general, the room availability to even record the videos. So to be able to, we need a, a long time frame like two to four hours to be able to record because the lectures are about three hours. So we needed a room to be able to put the equipment in and the rooms, our usual education rooms were taken over by the command center. So we didn't have a space. So we were very creative with finding rooms that we could squeeze in here and there and do our recording. The other challenge is that we had to learn the equipment. So one of the educators that we worked with who's on the critical care committee, he actually was not in that picture. He's pretty technically savvy. So he had this thing that you see on the slide here called the OWL, which is a smart video conferencing system. The owl can record the person presenting. If someone asks a question, the owl turns and looks at the person who's asking the question. Because we did have a couple participants in the room just to make it a little bit easier for the presenter. So we had someone manning the laptop that controlled the owl. We had somebody manning the chat. We had somebody recording. And then we had another laptop that the presenter would use to look at their slides and their notes. So setting all of that up and learning how to do that was a steep learning curve. So the end result is that we uploaded about 10 videos to the critical care website. We decided at the time because the videos were going to be viewed by not just those new hires coming into critical care but also like our IMC staff who were transitioning to ICU or who were helping ICU nurses So we decided to make the videos available to anybody. So no password required. We just put them on the critical care website. The other end result was that we developed a virtual simulation day via Zoom. The initial videoing of all the presentations was via Zoom. So everybody Zoomed in and then we recorded it and then we kept those recordings on the website and then future people coming in would just view the videos. But for the simulation day, we felt like, this was important to show them things and to really talk about things. So we did a virtual simulation day and we had them watch a few videos ahead of time to prepare. And then we just did a lot of scenarios for like hemodynamic monitoring, drip titration. We did a whole thing on ACLS, on rhythms, and it was all interactive. So we actually broke the groups of less than 10 people. So each, instructor would have a group of less than 10 people so one day we had about four instructors who were all zooming at the same time with different zooms so that people could ask questions so that was kind of our our idea for a virtual simulation day and then we also have added discussion sessions so because so much of our work now is is on video we wanted to have some interaction time. So for the August group, we have added discussion sessions. So we have those set up so that we have an instructor and then the orientees can come into that Zoom and do like a cardiac scenario, do a respiratory scenario so that they can talk to somebody and if they have any questions, they can answer all of those. So we've had, we have had positive reviews. We've also been told that the videos are too long, which is, True, they are too long. Um, Most of the research says it shouldn't be more than an hour and a half to two hours, so we need to work on that. Um, And the participants want more hands-on. So for a while, we were strictly forbidden to have any hands-on, so it really was not an option. Moving forward, we are rethinking our simulation day and kind of modifying it from our pre-COVID times so that we can have some hands on and break it up enough so we can have really small groups so people can just be socially distant. Other feedback is that everybody has to do a critical care assessment, whether you're in intermediate care or ICU. So everyone's continued to do well on the assessment. So something is working. So either the preceptors are doing a really good job or the videos are actually getting the, the information across. So for the future, we want to re-record the videos and maybe do it in sections. So like for cardiac day, maybe do acute coronary syndrome and then take a break and then do heart failure and then take a break. So have short videos and then have discussion points or a scenario or something that they can do to kind of help them understand the concepts that we want them to understand. So that's one idea. The other is to move all the pre-work and PowerPoints and videos to Moodle, which is an online platform. Some of the other programs in the hospital utilize Moodle. And right now we have our videos kind of living there, but we also were thinking we could put our pre-work in there. We could have the PowerPoints in there. That way we can monitor that much easier than just having it on a website because we're not requiring anybody to sign in. We don't know who goes in and who doesn't. So that's another idea. And then, as I mentioned previously, we're going to go back to as much as we can of our pre COVID simulation day and actually have them set up an art line, have them go through some of the ACLS scenarios and do the first five minutes, and then do some in the Johns Hopkins Sim Center. Uh, which is not completely available to us right now, we did a lot of high fidelity simulation. And so for at least the time being, we're going to stick to low fidelity simulations so that we can do it in any room that's available to us.
1: Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Paula. We'll move on to the listener Q and A segment.
0: Okay. So our first question is what is the timeframe to begin recording a video to the video being available online? I would say probably about two to three weeks first you have to have a room to record Um, you have to have all the people available so our technology guru Nancy and I or I and the person presenting so you definitely need that set that up and then it takes a long time to record because you're kind of talking to an empty room, and most people are not used to that. So you're re recording a lot, and then you'll realize, oh, I didn't put the audio on. So you're re recording again. So it took us probably six to eight hours to do one three to four hour session. So I would say once we planned the time and did the recording on that day, we would have it up online within a few days actually. But the planning of it and getting the room and recording the day, that's really what takes the most time. And then once that's complete, we make the editorial changes and then post it.
2: We have another question. Um, What was the biggest challenge when participants asked a question via video conferencing? So that was a, a challenge. We luckily had the foresight, and I think, again, using our expert on this, knew to utilize the chat box in Zoom. But we also had to go through a few kinks. We would let people mute themselves when they came in and we quickly learned that we needed to mute everybody when they came into the meeting. If we didn't, we'd hear a lot of talking. Uh, Sometimes people would, during the first sessions more so, if uh, we would tell people just to ask a question or we'd break at a certain time so that they could ask a question and we didn't specify whether we wanted to get them to use the chat box or to use the audio. Uh, So when they use the audio and you would ask a question, a lot of times you would get people over talking each other and a lot of static. So then we did just go, after that we learned quickly just to go straight to the chat box.
0: The next question is, um, what resources were available to you when beginning the transition from lecture to video? Initially, we were were grabbing our iPhones and we're like, okay, (laughs) let me video you doing this lecture. But we knew we needed something a little more professional than that. So we thought about using our multimedia team here at Hopkins, but with all the COVID stuff going on, they were backlogged. And, and usually the process with the multimedia team is, is very detailed and it usually takes a pretty long time to make it happen, to get the video or get what we need at the end. And we really knew that we needed to do this as soon as possible. So when we were talking in our committee about our plans, one of the educators from Lifeline, he said, well, I have this owl that we've used and this we can record using the owl. We're like, okay, let's give that a try. So then we did that and had all of our trial and error with the owl and setting up of the computers. And then one of the educators in central nursing uses Moodle and so we kind of were like, okay, well let's try that. And so with a group of us kind of looking at it, we decided, okay, we'll put the videos in Moodle and then link to that from the website. So really we just use what was right in front of us. We didn't go searching for things because we didn't have time. We needed someone who knew the material. Well, not not just knew the material, but knew the technology because we were the subject matter experts. We just needed someone with the technology for us to put our expertise in there and then put it online.
1: Thank you so much. As a reminder to claim credit, please complete the evaluation at covid19.dkbmed.com and select today's activity. You'll receive your certificate immediately after. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q is in question, A is in answer, at dkbmed.com. Don't forget to access our resource center at covid19.dkbmed.com. You'll find a range of information, including the latest COVID-19 data and statistics, medical society guidelines, and resources in Spanish. Again, thank you for joining us, and thank you for your
2: dedication to your patients with COVID-19.
1: Paula and Nancy, thank you so much for your time today.
2: Thank you. We enjoyed the opportunity to share the experiences we had with critical care education during COVID.
1: Yes. Thank you
0: so much for having us.